Thank you. It's a good morning indeed. I'm going to ask for the Lord's help, trust that he's going to give it, and I've got seven points that I want to open up with to address current issues that are in front of us that we're facing and trying to think through and work through and pray through, and I know some of you are having confusion about what's going on in the world. I think almost everybody in our world is having confusion about what's going on in the world, but the scriptures give us wisdom on how to think. Christians have the unique ability to look at the Bible and be trained on how to think about current issues. And we're just going to trust that God's going to give wisdom. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from you and to respond to you. And help me to think clearly. Help me to preach faithfully. And as I make these comments about uh, all that's going on, give me wisdom, uh, boldness, and humility to just, uh, to just help. Help me to serve your people well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Um, number one, racism is a topic of discussion around the world. And I think something we can all agree on, we should be able to all agree on, is that racism is evil. Can we all agree with that? That racism is yeah. it's a bad thing. It's a really bad thing. When one color within mankind thinks ill of somebody else that's in mankind with a different color, or when some color within mankind thinks themselves more than somebody else that's in humanity that is a different color of skin pigmentation. That is an evil thing. When somebody's mistreated or thinking much of themselves because of the color of their skin or a different color of their skin, that's just, that should be repudi just repudiate, repudiated across the board. That's an evil thing. Number two thing we can all agree on, I think, is that the murder of George Floyd was horrific. There's still due process that has to be done, but that video, can you, I mean, it's horrible. And thankfully, thankfully he was arrested and the other police officer who were with him were arrested and they're either going to get George Floyd biblically should get the, I mean, not George Floyd, the Derek Chavon should get the death penalty or should be spending life behind bars. So should the rest of those police officers. It was a terrible thing. Uh, within that police officer unit that was arresting him, there was a black officer and an Asian officer as well. So we can't say for sure that it was motivated by racial prejudice. And if it was motiv motivated by racial prejudice, then those other police officers who were with him were also complicit with racism as well. But I think we can all agree that it was a horrible, horrible thing. Third thing that we, we can agree on, I think, is... Uh, and we, we need to make distinctions here, okay, because this phrase is all across the internet and it's, it's everywhere. And there are certain groups of people, when they're saying this, they're just simply meaning that black lives matter. And then there's another group that means something way, way more than that when they say this. I think we should all be able to say to the extent that we mean that black people are created in the image of God. And if we had black brothers and sisters here this morning, and by the way, I hope that one day our faith community here are, is representative more um, uh, of the diversity that we see within our, within our city. And there is a lot of diversity here, a lot of age diversity, a lot of background diver diversities that we have, but, um, but black and white diversity. I hope that in time we have more and more of that, but we can't determine that. Um, and when people say black lives matter, there's a group of people who are simply saying that they are creating the image of God and that their lives matter. And we should absolutely say, uh, duh, of course. Like, who on earth would say that any people group throughout the world or any color, their lives don't matter? Of course they matter. They matter. 
But then there's something that we definitely need to di disagree with, which is the Black Lives Matter movement, which should be repudiated across the board in the same way that murder should be repudiated across the board. If you go to the blacklivesmatter.com and, and look at what their about statement says and what their statement of faith says and what we believe says, it's absolutely horrific, and it is anti-God, it's anti-Christianity, it's anti-black lives. If you pull out the logical conclusions of those statements, it's, it's horrific. And we should in no way support that, in no way. Um, there is a growing tendency when we talk about this, these, these matters um, to remove racism from individuals and place racism upon systems and structures. And in doing so, the conversation is trying to in, just enlarge the understanding of systemic racist problems throughout the country. But in trying to do that, what ends up happening is instead of actual racists getting blamed, racist structures are blamed. It's removed from actually the sins of people and applied to systems. But here's the problem. Systems don't sin. People do. Systems can't sin. People do. And in trying to highlight the problem in a society, what we actually do is minimize the problem by calling it structural problems, by calling it systemic problems. And so there is, in language, a more and more popularized idea of Marxist language, cultural Marxism. And if you don't know those language, that, what that means, I'm going to point you to this here in a minute, a resource that can help you out with that. When we talk about power and oppression, and all the language that we hear going on right now, it's important that we understand what we're actually talking about. Because we have to do the hard work, and if there is racist ten tendencies in anybody in here, which I don't think there is, but if there is in the hearts of anybody here, then those things can't be blamed on any system that you grew up in, and it cannot be blamed on the color of your skin. It has to do with the issues of the heart, and those need to be repented of, those issues and sins. You, we have proper laws in place at this point. The problem is people are breaking laws. That's a problem. And no matter what system or structure is in place in our society, even if Black Lives Matter got everything they want in a system form, you know what would still happen? Sin. And bad things would still happen because there's bad people in the world. I'm sorry, Joe Biden, it's not just 10 to 15% of people in the world that are bad. It's across the board. And the only way anybody can be changed is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, the system is not the answer. Structures are not the answer. But there's a lot of confusion even within Christian circles because when they say, well, what does God have to say about this? What has God done about this? And you go right to Ephesians chapter 2 or Revelation chapter 5 and show that Jesus tore down the dividing walls of hostility. Here's the deal. People say, yeah, but the systemic problems are there. And here's the, here's the deal. We focus on worldly wisdom to attack spiritual problems. You will never get no condemnation. You will never get good news. You will only get shame, and you will only get dividing walls of hostility continuing to be built up. The mortar gets laid, the bricks get laid, and those dividing walls of hostility continue to get built because, because systems don't offer good news. Reparations don't bring restoration. What we need is the gospel of Jesus, 200 proof stuff. Jesus has done in his flesh 
what systems cannot do. He has destroyed and tore down the dividing walls of hostilities that existed between Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between Asian and Hispanic, all across the board. We are one in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus did. It didn't, that's not what he tried to do. He destroyed the divisions between us. And so we have brothers and sisters in Christ, and we don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed to talk to brothers and sisters in Christ about these issues. I'm going to listen to my black brothers and sisters, and as in so much as we are being biblically faithful, black brothers and sisters need to listen to us. Christians listen to Christians. We are one in Christ. The dividing wall of hostility is destroyed. So when you see that being built back up, we know... There's some cross work that needs to be done here. We need to go back to Jesus. God has done something. The passage today is alarmingly prophetic. It's just unbelievable how Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12, down through verse 16, or 18, apply to the day. Like, what's going on? But I, I want to highly encourage you with two resources before we get, get going here. I want to encourage you to watch. I put it on my Facebook page. You can check it out. Watch Vody Bauckham. And he's got two... He's got one talk, one sermon. The talk is on cultural Marxism, and it's unbelievably helpful. He is a black brother, and with it just depends. There are black brothers and sisters that are okay to listen to in like with the media and the left, and even in Christian circles, like within Christianity, there's the there's the PC um, group that you can listen to, and then there's another group over here that doesn't get invited to write, speak, and talk about. Uh, these issues because they're doing it from more biblical perspective and it doesn't fit in with the big cultural sweeping media narrative, okay? And Vody Bauckham's one of these guys that just loves Jesus. He's been preaching faithfully for years and years and years. He's got a talk on cultural Marxism that's unbelievably helpful. He's a president of a university in, uh, in Africa and he's just a godly man. And then the second one is on racial reconciliation. And that sermon is about the sufficiency of the scriptures to speak into the issues of the day. And in this conversation, if we say, yeah, the scriptures have their wisdom, and again, yeah, the, God, the Bible has its stuff, but what you really need is to watch these five movies and to read these ten books, and then you'll understand the issues. And Vody's like, uh-uh. Go to the scriptures. The scriptures tell us how to face the issues of the day. The cross is enough. And, and so we think about, we step back from, and that ends my comments this morning on, on that particular issue, but we wonder why things are so confusing and why things are so difficult. It's because there are so many people that are walking with worldly wisdom and they're not thinking correctly. And Solomon addresses this very issue. What is the problem with worldly wisdom and even worldly sorrow with no good news? What are the problems uh, that we come into, that we bump into when we exclude the wisdom of God and we only walk with the wisdom of the world? What are the problems because apart from what we know to be true about God, there is little that we can know with worldly wisdom. What can worldly wisdom actually accomplish for us? How do we make sense of everything that's going on in the world without revelation from God? How do we fix the problems that face us? Can what is crooked be made straight? Can there be justice under the sun as we hear the word justice floating around everywhere? I just want to scream out, yes, there's justice to be found. God, the cross of Christ. And this passage today is relevant for the hour. I mean, it's, it's so prophetic. It's perfect for what we need, and it's perfect for what the world needs. Look with me at the word of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. 
and we'll read all the way through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and the striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. And I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The preacher, remember the preacher is preaching and he wants to bring us truth. He's been king in Jerusalem. That's what he says. The preacher has been king over Jerusalem. And then he tells us about his research project that we introduced last week. That he applied his very heart, his very soul in this pursuit to find peace and purpose and meaning, eternal value in the things under the sun. And so he goes on this secularist project, this atheist project of trying to find out how life works under the sun, as if God does not exist. And he put his heart into this. It's not just he dabbled in these concepts. It's that the man who had more wisdom than any of the kings before him, even King David, the man, his father, the man after God's own heart, this man, this king, applied his heart to seek and search out by wisdom this thing. What, what is the thing he, he sought to search out? He wanted to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He wanted to understand how the word, world works and why. He wanted to understand by the wisdom in which he had, that worldly wisdom in which he had, all that is done under heaven. He asked big questions and sought answers that would satisfy him. So these big questions that secularists continue to ask today, and people throughout all, philosophers continue to ask today, politicians, high school students, junior high students continue to ask today, he asked those questions. He gave everything, everything he had to answer, why does evil exist? How did we get here? What's the, the problem of existence, of actually being, the problem of being? The problem of good, where does good come from? We talk about the problem of evil, but there's this massive problem of good as well. What are these words? What's the foundation of these words, good and evil, within the secular worldview? How do you get even concepts of good and evil when nothing ultimately exists, when there's no morality, there's no ultimate authority? There's the problem of government and social order. Why do people do the things that they do, and why don't people do the things they don't do? Solomon wanted answers to all these questions, and so he was going to give his best effort. He put all his heart and all his soul and all his studies and all his mind into getting answers. Nietzsche was a dummy compared to Solomon. Solomon's going for it. i got to get the best answers I can get to the problems in this world. And look at verse 13b. He gives us an answer right out of the gate. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God has given this business 
to the children of man to be busy with, to figure out bigger things in this life. Um, chapter 3, verse 11 in Ecclesiastes says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, so yet that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God created mankind and set eternity in the heart of everyone. That's why every person throughout the world has some sort of, some sort of, understanding that there's something more. There's got to be something more to this. Switchfoot came out with that song, There's Got to Be Something More. Wasn't that Switchfoot? Or maybe there's got to be something more. I forget. I think it was Switchfoot, maybe. But there's got to be something more. Is this it? Is this all there is? And from society to society, tribe to tribe, there are answers about what that more is. Because there, there's got to be something more than just this material universe. Eternity is set in the heart of man. And so men are busy with this pursuit. Why do we exist? What's the point? And philosophy books are written. Answers to questions are put down on paper. Lectures are told. People go on trying to find out why things are the way they are. They search. even, And, and that's why everybody has some sort of philosophical answer to why the world is the way it is. And when we try to play God, we'll just say this. It does not go well. It's an unhappy business when we try to play God. When we try to come up with our own answers, under the sun answers, apart from the revelation of God, it is an unhappy business. It leads to exhaustion. It, I don't know if there's any other truer point that we get to at the end. For in much wisdom there is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wisdom and knowledge apart from God is absolutely exhausting because there's no answers. It's just tiring. Worldly wisdom is the way of the atheist. And Solomon goes on, he said, I've seen everything. Look at verse 14. I've seen everything that's done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity, and it's striving after the wind. All is vanity, and it is striving after the wind. Behold, Solomon says, this is what it's like. Go out and catch the wind. And put that wind in a bottle and get it all, all of it, all the wind. Catch it. You don't even know where to begin. How do you strive to catch the wind? A sail comes and it embraces and it holds on to the wind, but it doesn't catch the wind. The wind keeps coming. It bridles that wind or holds it to push a boat but you can't catch it. Where do you go to just start trying to catch wind and look in a bottle and just see, to see it move? I went on and looked at everything, and it's all vanity. It doesn't work. But there are many, there are many people who live with an athe atheistic view of life, many secularists that believe that there is a basis for virtue and justice without God. There are many with a secular worldview who have not yet arrived at that point to realize this is all vanity and it's striving after the wind. If there is no God, this is pointless. And so they keep applying false wisdom and worldly wisdom in this world that is God's world, wired to work God's way. And then they write their sacred texts and come up with theories 
and then demand everyone bow down to them. And I want you to look at the futility of that. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. There is futility in worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom cannot make straight that which is crooked. What is lacking cannot be counted. Worldly wisdom cannot tell you the real problems, the real issues of the day. It's like grasping and not getting what we're grasping for. You can come up with phrases and tweets that sound good. You can come up with ideas that students at universities will buy into. But unless we address the issues that the scriptures tell us about, what's crooked will not be made straight. What's lacking cannot be counted. It is utter futility. And I see Christians drinking secularless Kool-Aid like crazy. All over the place. Buying into the ideas of worldly wisdom that have no gospel in it at all. It only comes. It only comes with shame and condemnation. There is no worldly wisdom that has what we have in Christ. No condemnation. A level playing field across the board. We are one in Christ Jesus. There's no good news. It's only bad. And the only answers, the only answers that are found come, ironically, from the people of power. Just give us more power. <laughs> the problem's power. Give us more. Give us more power and we'll fix these power structures. Wait, I thought the problem was power. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Worldly wisdom cannot tell you the real problems. And, and, and this is the moment we're in. Godless politics, systems, and structures cannot fix the problem of the day. And this world cannot be fixed. Just boldly just say, it cannot be fixed by godless solutions. Let me just say that, like, Bodie Bauckham's right. With any issue, with any issue, we don't have to watch or read. We can, that's fine. But we don't have to understand the issues of our day by taking our nose out of this book and putting them in a bunch of other books. Or putting them on the TV screen to give us answers to the problems. We know what's going on. We know the issues. And we don't need to walk and, and just the ways of the world continuing to lead people down a path with no good news. We know the solution. Solomon is preaching to us today. You've got to get above the sun. We know about Genesis 3. And we know the answer to Genesis 3. And we know that we have to get above the sun, but that's not even accurate enough. We know, as we saw last week, that somebody has come from above the sun. We know about the cross of Christ. We know where the good news is. We know where restoration is. We know the, pro the answers to the world's problems. It's Jesus we learned about it in kindergarten. We learned about it in grade school. 
And what seems to be happening across our land, even from godly men and women, it's like, but it's Jesus and all this other stuff, and you'll finally be in the in crew, in, in crew that finally understands what we really need. Okay. Look at verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom and surpassed all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Solomon turns to himself and he said to myself, I said to my heart, I have acquired great wisdom. So he said, it's internal dialogue. I've acquired great wisdom. I've got it. I've surpassed all who are in Jerusalem before me. Bold and humble statement, right? David, yeah, he was a great king, but my dad didn't have wisdom like me. I had the most of it, more wisdom than anybody. I was the brightest and I was the best. I was not just the top of the class in Jerusalem. I was on the top of the class in the world. Like Nietzsche, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. The smartest people in the world had nothing on Solomon. And so his mind and heart was engaged at trying to figure out, in a secular view, can you make sense of all this? Can we make straight that which is crooked? Can we count that which is lacking? And all across the world, the problem still is, we just don't believe Solomon. We just don't. Secularists don't. Philosophers don't. Many theologians don't. They're like, yeah, Solomon, but, but, you didn't try this or that out. I was the brightest and the best. And look at Solomon's conclusion. My goodness, this is so sad. Look at verse 17. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And we get to some of that in the coming chapters, madness and folly. I applied my heart to know wisdom and know madness and folly, and I perceive that this is also but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let me just ask a question I think, again, we can all agree with. As we look at society, as you turn on the news, and you talk to friends and coworkers, is there a lot of exhausted people out there? There is, isn't there? There's a lot of exhausted black brothers and sisters. There's a lot of exhausted white brothers and sisters. Some Asian brothers and sisters. All across the world, just exhaustion is a kind of a common denominator. Tired. A lot of sorrow with the increase of knowledge. A lot of sorrow. Where can people find rest? Where can people find joy instead of sorrow. Where's that found? This isn't rocket science, folks. It really isn't. God has made this so easy for us. So easy for us. It all ends with exhaustion. I gave it myself. I gave it my all. Worldly wisdom, madness, folly, it's striving after the wind, wisdom, worldly wisdom brings vexation and sorrow. More godless knowledge brings more sorrow, sorrow upon sorrow. It promises good news and it fails to actually bring it. Intellectual vigor 
trying to figure out why the world is the way it is, trying to get answers to solutions in a world without God is absolutely and utterly exhausting. It's like we actually need God to be there or something. It's like we actually need God to speak. It's actually like we need wisdom from above to tell us, no, actually, here's how this works. Here's how this works. Here's how you can move forward in a Christian community. Here's how the Christian community can be that prophetic voice by modeling this to the world. The cross of Christ is where prejudice go to die, world. And when people know Jesus, prejudices should die. You can't know God through worldly wisdom. But here's the good thing. Wisdom in the scriptures, over and over again, has to do with revelation. God has revealed to us wisdom from above. And so we get wisdom in the book like Ecclesiastes, or in the book like Song of Solomon, or the book like Proverbs, the book of Job. All throughout the Old Testament, we have, we have wisdom given from on high. Wisdom doesn't start in here. Wisdom starts up there. Worldly wisdom, the way that seems right to man that ends in death, starts in wicked hearts. And wicked hearts who have deceived themselves to think they're actually good think, I can come up with good structures and systems. It comes from this way. Wisdom in the Bible is always, always down from the, from the top down. God giving it from above to us. And then wisdom culminates. Wisdom builds and builds and builds in the scriptures. And there's a culmination of wisdom in the New Testament in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The wisdom from God. The wisdom that is God. I want you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 18, 31. As the world cries out for a way. As the world cries out in vexation and in sorrow. Please give us some good news. And all the talking heads say, well, do this, do this. We need these structures in place and those structures in place. And we need these laws in place and those laws in place. And we need to get rid of those and get more and more people from different places around the world. And a more and more better represent, representation of the population in places of power. And we need blah, 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 blah. We need Jesus. That's what we need. First Corinthians chapter 18, verse 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discerning, discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. I want you to hear this, guys. The, the cross of Christ, by those who think they're wise, is folly. And that's what the world is saying about the Christian message right now. And that's what many in the Christian faith are saying about the message of Christ right now. <laughs> hey, man, what's going on? He almost made it on video. So people are going to wonder, like, okay, what's going on over here? Oh, it's so great. I love it. There are people who are saying the cross is not enough. It's not enough. And of course, just like in all areas of life, we have to push the applications of the cross into every nook and cranny of our lives. Okay? And so, again, if there is prejudice in our hearts, let it die. 
Let it die. God, kill that. You don't have to make up white guilt, by the way. You don't have to feel guilty that you're white. God made you that way. Just like nobody should feel guilty if they're black or Asian or anything like that. There's no, there's, this is God's design. And he designed it through his wisdom to be an epicenter of where we find racial harmony. And the Bible speaks of this harmony as the wisdom of Christ. This is where we find reconciliation and restoration to every tribe and tongue. Look at this. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the, discerning of the discern discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let me just pause again. Preaching of the cross, there will always be naysayers that say it's folly. Always. You just can't get around it. There's going to be people that mock the wisdom of God. It just will happen. 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the irony here, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So let's go through and kind of bullet point some of these verses. Bullet point some of these verses. Wisdom builds in the Old Testament. It always comes from above the sun. And then, as we stated last week, the S-O-N came beneath the S-U-N to save the wisdom of God. Verse 21. You can't know God through worldly wisdom. You can't. It's impossible. Worldly wisdom will, will get you maybe some money, maybe a position of power, maybe a life that you, you enjoy, and through God's common grace, he allows you to enjoy that life, but it cannot get you to God. Verse 24, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Christ is. The power and the wisdom of God. Verse 29. No boasting in our wisdom. We don't get to boast in worldly wisdom. That's foolishness. We boast in Christ. Verse 30. Because of Him, we have seen the wisdom of God. It's because of God that we have seen the wisdom of God. Friends, this is so crucial. We didn't arrive or qualify ourselves to earn the wisdom of God. The reason the cross is not folly to us in this room or to any brother or sister in Christ across the, across the globe, the reason it's not folly is because God opened our eyes. 
through the folly of what's preached. And it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we see, oh, that's the power of God. There's the wisdom of God. The way I'm doing it, the way we're doing it, the way the world doing it is not going to work. This is what we need to be praying for. This is a crucial moment. Crucial moment. And friends, what happened to George Floyd, according to statistics, and contrary to what the media says, is not that common. It doesn't mean it's not horrifying. It's horrifying. Anecdotally, I called one of my best friends. We were roommates in college. Anecdotally, he said, Jared, uh, he's a black friend, my best black friend that I've ever had. We live together. He's in my wedding, and I love him. I even have to say, I mean, he's just my friend. Anecdotally, he's experienced, and I remember that. He's experienced some things that I have not experienced, okay? And so there's some things happening out there that are bad, really bad. It's not good. And I don't think we should bury our head in the sand and say that there isn't. But here's the answer. The answer isn't, and we should always seek to promote more godly laws, right and true laws. But if we put our hope and let others put their hope in systems, they will never arrive at the good news. We have got to, in this season and moving forward as the people of God, and on a wide-scale level, if we dabble in the ways of the world, it's just a matter of time before we lose the Savior of the world in our message. It's just a matter of time. And there are a lot of plausible arguments. There lo- and I'm just telling you, if we don't keep the epicenter of this whole discussion on the cross of Christ, we're going to miss it. And there's going to be accusations. It's not enough. It's not enough. Well, why is it enough for all other areas of sin in our life? Why is it enough to keep saying, come to Christ, go to Christ, there's no condemnation? And while the world just keeps saying, no, there is condemnation, you need to feel it, shame, sorrow, hang your head. And in Christ, there's no condemnation for any of sin, any sins that you've ever committed, or any sins you will ever commit. There's no condemnation. Look to Christ and go and sin no more. It's enough for every other sin in your life, and it's enough for the issues that face the day. He became wisdom to us. Do we see this wisdom? So don't set aside. I'm pleading with you. This is, I can't say it enough, so crucial. The most crucial season I've ever been in in my life. Don't set aside the wisdom of God and pick up the wisdom of the world or try to mix the two. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the banner that we fly. He's the one we corporately kneel to, that we submit to, with people from all tribes and tongues in this one human race, this one human race that was created in the image of God, collectively, in an act of solidarity, we all need to bow in repentance and say, Jesus, you know the way. You are the way. And I pray, I pray for my heart and for your heart. Jesus is the answer. In him, life makes sense. 
life makes sense. The answer to the problems of lawlessness in our world is Jesus. Lawlessness across the board. Not systems, lawlessness. There are systems already in place to stop police brutality. But it keeps happening. Not because of systems, because of lawbreakers. Bad men and women who break the law and harm people. That's a problem. And if we walk in the way of the world, we'll say, no, it's actually a system problem. No, it was that person's sin who did an unspeakable act. And we want to try to weep with those who weep, but also across the board, we want to say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the one who wipes tears from our eyes. He is the one who has answers. In Him, life makes sense. In Him, we see order through madness. In Him, we know true justice, and we know that true justice is inevitable. We know that He will make all wrong things right. That nobody, as we talk about social, social justice, no injustice in the end will win because of Jesus. None. And so He is the hope of the world, and He is the wisdom from above the sun. He is the one we need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the message of Ecclesiastes that is so relevant today. Solomon, in all his best efforts, was exhausted and tired. He had seen all that had been done under heaven. He walked knowing the divide that was between Jew and Gentile. He knew about that divide. He no doubt thought through those issues. He saw everything that was done under sun, under the sun. And according to worldly ways, nothing that's crooked can be made straight. And nothing is lacking cannot be counted. And what is lacking cannot be counted. But here's what I know. The saying that people have thrown at you, you can't make straight lines out of crooked sticks unless you're God. God, you have done what worldly wisdom cannot do. You have saved a rebel like me who has sinned in millions of ways, incalculable ways, that was crooked and twisted and contorted in rage against you, and you saved me. And you, forgive, you forgave me of all my sins. And God, I pray that during what's being exposed right now in our country and our world, I pray that people would not run to futile answers. I pray that we would find harmony and we would find true justice around Jesus. Jesus, thank you for all that you did. I thank you that you lived a perfect life and died in our place. The wrath of God the Father placed upon you because of the love of God the Father for us. And Lord, I unite us around Jesus. If there's any sins that we need to repent of, let's model the wisdom of God through the cross of Christ. And if there isn't any of us, in this predominantly white congregation. If there's any prejudice, then help us repent of those. And then, God, help us be reminded that there is no condemnation for those here in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that we wouldn't take the bait of secularism and of godless worldviews, but that would cling more tightly to your work on the cross for, our, on the cross for us. Jesus, we thank you for your love. Help us to continue to run to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, we get to sing.